one thing that I always sort of advise people moving into this space, if you want to take podcasting seriously and make, really make something of it, you have to put a side budget to market your show. Simply having a high quality production is not enough. And drawing in your qualified audience through paid and organic tactics should be half of the work, half of the scope. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Podium Stories. Today we have a very special guest. Uh, her name is Farima, and Farima uh, and I are going to talk about podcasting, uh, mostly about B2B podcasting as well. We're going to talk about what are some of the brands that have to be thinking about when they start with podcasting, what are some of the things that they should know when it comes to producing, when it comes to marketing the podcast, um, what are the things they need to know when they're getting buy-in internally from their team. Uh, but first of all, Farima, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So uh, for the audience that is listening, uh, give us the elevator pitch for Quill. Uh, give us the 60-second pitch of what you guys are working on, what the things you, that you guys do at, at Quill. Yeah, so we're an award-winning production agency, and um, we specialize in creating branded podcasts for Fortune 500 and corporate enterprise brands. So our job is to essentially create the podcast as well as um, market them in audience growth. Uh, a big focus of, of what we do is helping brands understand the ROI of their podcast and then helping them to justify the creation of new production budgets. So that's the agency side of our business, but we also own a hosting tech platform called Cohost. Um, we essentially built it for our enterprise clients to give them more data and analytics around um, who their audiences are, how their show is performing, and sort of give them insights on how to make their show bigger and better. I love that. Uh, before we dive deep into that, uh, tell me about how uh, does Farima get to start Quill and co-host? Mm -hmm. how, how did we get here? Give, give us a bit of background on, on the origin story of this. I ran an agency in a former life, so before Quill I was sort of essentially doing the same thing but we were sort of a generalist agency where we worked on content for the same clientele so corporate fortune 500 brands and I think after 2014 I noticed this huge you know serial became a household name and I noticed this huge trend of you know content audio like the audio wave and and really realize that you know just like your company had a phone number in the 1980s a website in the 1990s and social in the 2000s the next five to ten years I, I really do think is the wave of the audio and so at that point I decided to productize our services from the last agency and just exclusively focus on audio and podcasts same clientele and that's really how Quill was born um, and, and so we've been doing it ever since and, and really just creating audio content for for enterprise brands. I love it. Uh, I'm curious about when you guys are starting to work with enterprise brands and you're selling podcasting as a product as service, what are some of the main objections that you usually tend to get from these clients? What, what are some of the things mm -hmm. that brands maybe they're not so used to and they have to, when they're open to this idea, what are some of the things that they come up with? Yeah, podcasting is very much like PR. It's an intangible service. It's not digital marketing where for every dollar you put in, you can measure the ROI to your bottom line. Uh, we do have to spend a lot of time because it's a new category uh, in meetings with CFOs, really helping them to understand what, uh, you know, why is podcasting important and how is it really going to impact your business and and really you can't measure brand awareness. You can't measure thought leadership and credibility. 
we've gotten pretty good at it. We've gotten pretty good at justifying ROI, you know, through various, I've written a lot of articles about, you know, the data and analytics and the KPIs that come with podcast awareness. But I, I will say the number one challenge we have is because it's a new category, helping brands understand why it's important to include it in your content and, and marketing strategy mix. Yeah, I love that. Because when, when we talk about podcasting with our clients, basically what we the, the way we pitch our agencies, we help B2B companies become media companies. And podcasting is, is one of the avenues, but not the, the only avenue that we do that. But we, we face the same challenges of why don't we do paid ads where we know we're going to get mm-hmm. 1.07 for every dollar that we get, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I wonder what are some of the KPIs that you guys kind um, of propose or look for when doing podcasting? Uh, is just number of listeners? Uh, what are some of the KPIs that you determine this was a successful podcast or not? Yeah, so we look at the, you know, the obvious ones, podcast downloads, unique listeners, average consumption rate is really important to us. So are people consuming all the way through to the end of your content? We measure loyal listeners, so how many people that we're drawing to the podcast are staying on for future episodes. Um, And then I think the biggest thing that we try to measure is who your ideal listener profile is. Things like age, gender, location, household income, you know, are these people the the type of audiences you're really trying to tune into? It's not about the downloads anymore. It's not just about the unique listeners. There's a whole slew of KPIs and analytics that that go go along with it. And, And I would say engagement is a really big piece for us. Going back to your initial question about, you know, how do you sort of like, what are some of the other challenges? I would say another really big challenge that we have is brands thinking that podcasting is a very saturated industry there's too many podcasts out there and that's a really big myth that I always try to debunk because there's 2.5 million podcasts out there only 18% of them are active so for argument's sake let's say there's half a million active podcasts there's 1.5 billion websites 600 plus million blogs 500 hours of content being uploaded every minute 30 plus million YouTube channels compared to that and those stats we're very much at the beginning of the hype cycle. So just like in 2007, if you were the first person on Twitter, by default, you're an influencer today. And similarly, I would say that if you're podcasting today, really, you're going to see the influx of your content momentum in like the next few years. Because I've seen, I'm, I'm guessing you've seen this as well, but there's a lot of podcasts that start do two, three, four episodes and then they're done, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they come for the metrics of existing podcasts, but they're not your competition because they're not even there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, which it leads me to ask you about what are some of the things that brands can do to be more consistent, right? What, what can they do to not be one of the 85% that are not active uh, anymore? What are some of the mindset, but also execution um, tips and lessons that you guys give for your brands to make sure that they're consistent with their content? I think first and foremost, it's the importance of understanding that podcasting is a marathon, not a sprint. People move into this space getting very excited about a great idea that they have, not realizing how much work it is. And then they you know, get overwhelmed with the technical aspects of production and post-production, so very quickly give up on the idea. 
the podcasts that we work on that are the most successful are people who maybe started three, four, even five, six years ago. And now we're seeing that content explode and really impact their SEO and bottom line. But it was a marathon, not a sprint. It's like building a company or building your personal brand. It definitely takes time. There's no instant gratification. And so that would be the first piece of advice that I would give people moving into this space. If you go into it wanting, you know, an instant return, you're going to give up on the idea and the tactic very quickly. I think that one thing that I always sort of advise people moving into this space, if you want to take podcasting seriously and make, really make something of it, you have to put a side budget to market your show. Simply having a high quality production is not enough. And drawing in your qualified audience through paid and organic tactics should be half of the work, half of the scope. And so really that would be a big piece of tip or advice that I, I would give people moving into this space. And then there are no shortcuts. If you're looking to create a high quality production, hire a team or freelancers to, or even in-house team to execute on your show because the lack of you know, high quality production leads to disengagement and drop-offs. And there's so many elements of creating a really successful podcast from pre-production all the way to post-production and marketing. You cannot do it yourself. You cannot hodgepodge it yourself. You cannot record on Zoom. You cannot, you know, use Anchor as your hosting platform and make a podcast successful. You have to invest the dollars and the time. Absolutely. Uh, One thing that we found for our clients in that space is while the views and audience grows over time, I, I like the benefit of podcasting that drives with the business development at scale, right? A, a lot of our clients or, or the people listening are, are B2B uh, mm-hmm. with very high ticket audience. I mean, by high ticket cl- uh, deal sizes. Um, so when they run their podcast, like interviewing their ideal customer profile and bringing people that could be industry influencers, we found that building those relationships have been a good benefit or side benefit totally. to podcasting. Have you found the same thing? A hundred percent. B2B companies, you know, it's a game changer if you are podcasting because make a list of your prospect to clients that you want to be in front of and invite them to be a guest on your show. What other medium are you going to get an hour of uninterrupted time to build a relationship organically and then have your sales team frequently make touch points with those um, with those prospective guests after the episode has published so that you can actually build that relationship and partnership. It's such a smart idea. And and I, I will say that, you know, people think of podcasting as a marketing strategy, but I think of it as a sales strategy if you're a B2B company. Yeah, because it, it doesn't really work if you have a very small deal size because now you're, for $19 a month, it, it, it doesn't work to like get people on the show, et cetera, et cetera. It, the audience will work. But when you're talking about two, five, ten, hundred k a month deals, then be, turning that conversation, in, that podcast conversation, into sales conversation makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, uh, for B two C brands, it makes sense to tell your brand story and create an emotional exactly. connection with your customers. It's like Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I always tell people this: I exclusively only support them after listening to their podcast episode on how I built right. this. Um, so if you're looking to create a loyal connection with customers, B2C podcasting is the way to go. If you're looking to close partnerships and sales and revenue, B2B podcasting is the way to go. Yeah, it's a much better excuse than say, hey, can I pick your brain for 30 minutes or can, do you want to hop on a call? Uh, it's a much better way to do that. Uh, we were talking about analytics before uh, and I want to go into the marketing side, but let, let's finish the analytics 
uh, first, you were talking about co-hosts and how that kind of provides you with better analytics. I was wondering if you could expand on that and how you guys leverage your own platform to kind of provide a more sophisticated tool of analytics and what can co-hosts uh, allow you to do better for your clients, etc. When we were working with our customer base to launch their podcast and help them understand the ROI, we found that most of the resources out there on the market, um, the data was very fra- is still very fragmented and not consolidated. We had to go to Chartable to find smart links and UTM tracking links. We had to go to Apple to find average consumption rate. We had to go to Spotify to find gender and 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 age. So. I think that was a really big challenge. Like even writing reports for our clients could take hours because of all the different places we're trying to hodgepodge our data from. So essentially, we decided to launch something that was really just a case study for ourselves. We noticed the pain points and the gaps in the industry, and we weren't thinking about launching it publicly for anybody else. We were like, what can we do internally to better understand how the show is performing, who the audience is and audience size And then from there, you know, help them grow their audience, things like automatic transcriptions and benchmarking data to see how you're doing compared to your competition. What else can you be doing to reach your audiences? Campaign attribution data. And so that's really the focus of why we decided to build Co-Host. Actually, it was pretty well-timed as well because of the announcement that Spotify made that they acquired Chartable and Podsites and Mm -hmm. What they decided to do was close that service offering for anybody who's a non-megaphone user, which is pretty unfortunate because think about how many people rely on Chartable and pod sites for campaign attribution data. Right. You know, without that campaign attribution data, you don't know where your downloads are coming in from and how you're ranking and how you're doing and where to focus your efforts. And so we wanted to do that on a much more granular level, like take it to the next level so that's what we did. We have not even launched yet to the world. We're, we're officially opening it up for anyone else to purchase May 1st is, is really right. our target timeline. But right now, all of the customers, um, we have about 100 customers on our platform, and they're all brands who we work with on the agency side. I love it. Uh, I'm curious from a founder to founder, how did you manage kind of opening up this SaaS product on the site? Did you have an internal team of developers that you have to hire outside? Uh, how did you distribute your time between agency and this? Mm-hmm. I wonder how you manage that. I'm, I'm probably, it was not easy. No, it's not easy. It's still not easy. I, I straddle two roles. I think of myself as the CEO of two companies and the founder of two companies. We are one company. The, the parent company is called uh, Quill and mm-hmm. our product is called Co-Host. But the reason that I, I essentially structured it this way is I have zero investors on our cap table and we're completely bootstrapped. And so the service side of our business, which is obviously very lucrative, is funding the product side of the business. And so um, my first step was to bring on a very you know talented CTO, which I did last year. And uh, I've, I've built out an entire engineering and product team in-house. So we have product designers, product managers, a CPO, a CTO, um, a CMO, all all in-house and, and co-host essentially is an extension of Quill, the agency. So our agency is, our team is separate and co-host is separate. And then a couple of us, like myself, straddle both both teams, I would say. Um, I will say that there is a really important intersection for those two roles because the Agency is the customer and case study for the right. product. So not only is a sales channel the same way, but 
I would say that the insights and the product evolution and iteration and product market fit comes from working with pro podcasters. So, you know, when people are like, would you separate the two? I said, it doesn't make any sense because we, we the success of both are so reliant on each other. To know if the agency clients are succeeding, we need the product. And to know what gaps there are in the product, we need the agency. I love it. Yeah, I think a lot of agency owners, I, I run a smaller agency probably, yeah, we're about eight people. Um, and we agencies are very interesting, right? Because they're very lucrative in many ways. <laughs> yes. Uh, but they're not very sellable, like a SaaS product would be. So I feel like yeah. a lot of agency owners that look at how can we learn from our clients right now to build a SaaS product that we can potentially it can be acquired one day or that can also benefit the agency. Uh, was that a bit your 100%. thinking or was it, was it more of a, I want to build a SaaS product, let's find a solution? Or was it more a problem that you found and then you created the SaaS product on top of that? Yeah, you can, your, your assessment is bang on. You can get a 2x multiple on service and a 5 to 7x multiple on product, maybe even more if you're mm -hmm. depending on your growth. Honestly, I launched the service side of the business first because I wanted to learn the pain points. You can't you can't identify the gaps and find a product market fit until you're in the trenches with your customer. And so many so many companies have built hosting and data products and they have never launched a podcast. They've right. never worked with customers. So how do they know what features that they need and how do they know what gaps there are in the industry to help move the industry forward? So Service is really smart to launch first, in my opinion, because you can understand what the pain points are and where to actually add value and make a difference. It also, the cash is very lucrative to that's fund the product. Point. So right. that's that's why I did it in that order. Um, and honestly, I would do that all over again. I would, I would still launch the service and then move into the product. I love it. Because like you said, you're getting paid to learn the pain points, which is exactly. fantastic. Exactly. And then you can use the cash to know how to delude yourself when you're raising for the SaaS product. It's, it's, I think you, that's incredible. I love that. Or it makes uh, you, it puts you in a position where you can be very strategic about when you, you want investment. Exactly. So we don't, we don't want any investment right now. And, and I don't think we will for a long time, if ever, I would ideally like to bootstrap the entire business, but if the right investor comes through, we can be strategic about whether we want to let them in. And it's money is so much easier to close when you don't need when, the money. Right. When you have money already. Yes. Yeah. 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 When, when you, have you can money. set the terms. Yes, yeah. exactly. I think for a lot of agency owners, that's the ideal channel and path. Um, mm -hmm. We have about uh, five more minutes before I have to let you go. Um, I, I want to talk about more of the distribution and marketing of the podcast. Because I've seen a lot of clients say, okay, we put a podcast we're going to put it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and that's distribution, that's good enough. And, and it doesn't seem to be, right? Uh, how are you, what are your thoughts or how, what are some of the things you recommend to your clients when it comes to, okay, now we have this hour of podcasts. Let's make sure the effort of putting out to the market is equally as important or more than the actual podcast itself. Yeah, so... Of course, 50% of the battle is creating really good and engaging content that when you drive people to, they're going to want to stay. So, you know, without great content, you can do all the marketing in the world, but you're going to have a really high turnover rate, which is counterintuitive to what you're trying to achieve. And then without 
the marketing component, you're not going to be able to drive in people, especially not in a digitized industry like podcasting where everything is done online. You know, everything is done through SEO, through advertising and paid digital. I would say my recommendation to people is I think organic marketing tactics like social media management, social ads, blogs, those are those are good for brand awareness and engagement, but it doesn't actually translate to podcast downloads. It's just for brand awareness. And so what you really want to do is a combination of industry tactics where you're acquiring users that are already listening to podcasts based on, you know, various categories like age and location and interest. So what other similar shows are they listening to? Um, Those tactics include obviously working with networks for ad placements, Spotify ad studio, uh, running ads on the listening platforms like Podcast Addict or Player FM or Overcast, um, applying to Apple's new and noteworthy section, cross promotion with other shows, applying for all of your awards. Those are the types of tactics that actually draw in listeners. Everything else like PR, that's great for brand awareness and credibility, but you're not going to acquire users that way. Interesting. Uh, how do you kind of distribute budgets, right, uh, between organic and paid? Do you, do you guys kind of have some benchmarks of we need to put at least this much towards paid to, to yeah. drive that? Or how, how do you kind of combine both? So based on the type of clients we work with, they're Fortune 500 brands who already have in-house marketing teams. We don't do any organic marketing. Zero. Oh, interesting. We we tell them to do it because they have announced teams. They're already doing social media and writing yeah. content like blogs. So we say we don't touch organic marketing because that's something you can already do in-house. But what we will do is all of the technical industry-related marketing that we have proprietary knowledge on and like running ads on paid platforms, for example. And I would say the split of budget for marketing of the podcast should be 80-20, 80% paid digital and 20% organic. And, you know, we're not going to take money from clients to do something that they can already do. Right, like we right, want right. to focus our efforts on the KPIs that we're being measured on, which is unique listeners, average consumption rate, retention, growth over month over month and season over season. Yeah, interesting. What about the split between paid social like Facebook, Instagram versus paid audio ads like um, Apple and Spotify ads and all that stuff. Do you guys do both or do you guys focus mostly on the audio ads? And if both, how do you guys kind of distribute the budget across them? We don't do any paid social ads. Because they can do it themselves. Not only can they do it themselves, but it doesn't actually bring in podcast downloads. It's great for engagement. Like if you want to comment on your social media posts or likes or or things like that, for sure, do it if you want. If you're already doing it, it's great for brand awareness, but it doesn't. people don't actually click on those ads and listen to your podcast. Because they're too far away from the actual podcast itself. It, yeah, I mean, it's just yeah. a tactic that we've tried for many, many months and years, and, and it's never worked. So the data has shown us social ads do not work for podcast downloads. It's great for like engagement. If you want to build your social following, do ads. If you want to reach new people in different places, do that. But where you're really going to acquire users is podcast advertising. I love that. Um, this is fantastic. Uh, I, I want to ask a last question because I think we're running out of time. A lot of your clients seem to be enterprise sales. And as a founder, I'm also curious, 
if you've worked with both small, medium businesses and enterprise, is the sales process much different? Or what, what are some of the things that you found uh, as you go up market to be challenging? Uh, I know this could be a, an hour question, but maybe if there's two or three things that are top of mind. I like working with all types of companies, whether it's Fortune 100 or 500. You have like the good, great clients in on either side of the spectrum. Sometimes it's actually easier to work with the smaller clients than it is the bigger ones because there's so many procurement processes and legal processes that you have to follow with the larger companies, which we've gotten really good at. Um, in terms of the, the process, I would say things move a lot quicker with smaller organizations. So when you're creating workback schedules, you just have to know that a project with a Fortune 500 company will take much, much double the time that it will take with a Fortune 100 company. Right. Um, you know, pros and cons to both. We really enjoy both ends of the spectrum and we work with enterprise brands in all verticals. So it really just, it really just depends, um, you know, what you find more lucrative. I, I like working with both types, both smaller and larger companies because uh, you learn different things. You learn, they, everyone has different perspectives. Everyone has a different priority and KPI. And we are typically challenged a lot with both sets of clients. So, you know, the smaller clients, lead generation and sales is a really big priority, um, which forces us to get really creative on that front. Whereas with larger companies, they care less about monetization and sales and a lot more about brand awareness and credibility. And so we have to think about it from that lens as well. And so as a business owner, I feel like we're constantly learning by keeping a pretty diverse portfolio. I love it. Uh, uh, I think this is a great way to end it. This was a great episode where we talk about a lot of things, podcasting. Uh, Fatima, for everybody listening, what's the best way that they can reach out uh, connect with you. Yep. So I'm available pretty much everywhere on social, all of the platforms. And then my company is called Quill Podcasting. You can find me on the website as well. I love it. And for everybody listening, we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Perfect. Thank you so much.